All right, I'm going to be speaking from a number of Scripture texts this morning. But what we'll do is we're going to start with one in Proverbs. Proverbs 22, 9. There's many, many verses like this in the Bible. Even in Proverbs itself has tons of verses like this. All right, let's stand for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, authoritative word to us this morning. Proverbs 22.9 Hear the word of God to you. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. I'm going to need a little help here, so let's pray. Father God, you have put a fire in my belly. You brought me on a journey. You've opened my eyes personally to things that I kind of ducked away from in the past because it hurt too much. But I pray now that you would protect us from the evil one, that you would protect my lips from saying things that are not true. And Lord, that your word would come through loud and clear, crystal clear. And we pray that you would give us ears that hear, that you give us eyes that see and perceive. And oh God, I pray you'd grant us hearts that are good ground for your seed, that we might bear, hear the word, believe it, and apply it to our lives and bear much fruit for your kingdom's sake. Oh God, do your spiritual surgery in our hearts, your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word surgery in our hearts right now. Make us more like Jesus and set us on fire to be about our Father's business. Use your word to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know why we're called Bible-believing Christians? Because we profess to believe that the 66 books that make up the Bible are the very breathed-out words of God. I get a witness. We acknowledge that we don't sit in judgment in God's book, on God's book. We don't decide what we're going to believe, what we're not going to believe, what we're going to obey, what we're not going to obey. But rather than that, we actually acknowledge the Word of God sits in judgment on us. Hebrews 4.12 puts it this way, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Here it is. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Huh. And since we are people of the book, we believe it all, we confess that Scripture's teaching is very clear on salvation. The Bible tells us we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I need to back it up with Scripture if I'm going to say something like that is radical. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, just in case you missed it. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Hallelujah. We worship Him. Hallelujah. Man, that's all. Yes. 
In the gospel, God gives us what we could never earn, what we could never work for on our own. He gives us a new record that as he wipes away all our sins so that when God sees us, he sees us, he sees what? The righteousness of Jesus. He gives us a new heart. No, no longer do we have a heart of stone. We have a heart of flesh that actually wants to do what he says. We have a heart that wants to add a gratitude, pour ourselves out for our Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. And oh, we're not finished. He's given us something else too. He's given us a new life. That means we ain't what we used to be. And when people look at us, they're going to see what in the world happened to him. He's one of those Jesus freaks. You know, instead of punching that guy back in the nose, he's praying for him. I remember meeting old friends on the boardwalk. And hey, what's going on? I said, hey. And I said, yeah, I came to know Jesus. He's my savior. I see everybody's face go. And then first they laughed. Man, you're funny. I said, no, I'm dead serious, man. You know what they literally did? Uh, we'll see you later. All right, it was a real nice seeing you. Just saying. But the Bible also tells us something else that's important about this new life we have. We've not only been saved from sin. Can I get a hallelujah? But we've been saved to something else. Oh, if we've been saved from that, we're saved for this. And guess what it's for? Good works. Jesus saved you in order that you would do good works that glorify his Father. Another good verse for that, Ephesians 2.10. You thought I was going to stop at 9, didn't you? Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So listen, we've been known throughout history, Christians have, as a people of the book, as a people of prayer, a people of faith. But here's something that we sometimes miss and we forget. We've also been known throughout the history of the world to be a people of compassion and a people of action. That's our real testimony. Julian, a Roman emperor who lived around A.D. 360. We're going real old school. He once made this telling comment when he was speaking of Christians. He said, nothing, listen to this, Nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of Christians as their charity to strangers. These impious Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. He thought he was mocking us. And what was he actually saying? He's saying, look how good these people are. That we don't even take care of our poor, man. And yet, not only are they taking care of their own poor, they're going around blessing and helping and serving our pagan poor. He even acknowledged this. And he hated Christianity. By the way, he tried to get rid of Christianity in Rome. Thankfully, he didn't succeed. But what a testimony. Think about it. Who started the hospitals for the sick in this country? In the main. Guess what? Christians. Who cared about kids who were on the streets and had nowhere to go? YMCA. Young Men's Christian Association. It started that way. Who looked at the poor in the inner cities? Who looked at the broken? Who looked at the people that everybody walks by? Salvation Army. That's a history, man. That's our rich heritage. 
the Great Awakening. Even us, we come from, in this church in particular, we come from a Reformed background. Well, George Whitfield did not only preach the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he did so eloquently, but he set up orphanages wherever he went. He took our Lord's example and his word very seriously. Because here's the issue. Why do we do these things? There's a lot of reasons, but I'm going to give you one clear one. Because we're simply following the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his apostles. It's as simple as that. Imitation. It's the greatest form of flattery. You want to flatter God? Be like him. This is what the apostles said about Jesus in Acts 10.38. Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Look at the Gospels. You can't read the Gospels without seeing that the good news was preached to the poor. Jesus took a beeline to them. You can't read the Gospels without seeing Jesus healing lepers, healing the blind, giving the lame new legs. And listen to this one. Another thing Jesus did, he ministered to widows. There's a story in Luke 7 where there was a widow and it was a funeral procession. It was her only son that was dead. She was broken. In those days, let me tell you something. If you did not have a family member to take care of you and you were, in a, you were a widow, you were in deep trouble. You were desolate. And so Jesus walks up to the coffin. You know, when, when I remember, I think it was D.L. Moody said he went, when he had to do his first funeral, he went to see, let's see, how did Jesus do funerals? Well, he had a big problem because every time Jesus went to a funeral, he raised people from the dead. Amen? So it's kind of a, that's one example that ain't too easy to follow. But in this case, Jesus went up and said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And he came back to life. You know why Jesus did that? He did that to restore the widow. The widow would have hope. He obviously did it to show who he is, but he also did it to minister to the widow. What about the apostles? I love this story. Just one quick one. Paul in Galatians is trying to show that he's an equal apostle as the rest of the other apostles because some were doubting that because he didn't walk with Jesus like James and John did. And he's speaking about how he saw the risen Christ too. As a matter of fact, he says, when Barnabas and I went to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles, they gave us the right hand of fellowship. And they acknowledged they were called to preach the gospel to the Jews and we were called, he and Barnabas, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And then this is what he says. Very interesting. All they asked, this is in uh, Galatians 2.10, by the way, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing, Paul says, we were eager to do. Do you ever notice in your Bible reading you kind of skip these verses? You kind of go right back to other issues? As forgiven, blood-bought children of the living God, we've been given new birth from above. Now we have a deep desire. Sometimes in some of us, it's like really deep. You know, deep, deep. It's got to be brought out. But we have a deep desire to be like our Abba Father. We have a deep desire to be like our Savior and our Lord. And when we watch Him in action, we say, that's beauty in action. That's art in action. We want to be like Him. You know, I want to be just like Jesus and the apostles when I grow up. Amen? 
Listen, all over the Bible, the redeemed of the Lord in Old and New Testaments are called to imitate their Father in heaven and specifically His Son. Remember in 1 John last week, we talked about that. We talked about the the passage that says, anyone who claims to know Him must walk as Jesus walked. You claim to know Him, you don't have to raise hands. You better be walking like He's walking. And this morning, what I want to take a quick look at is this. God calls His people who are called by His name to serve the least and the lost, the poor and the needy, the lonely and the weak and the marginalized by society. And I'm, and I'm going to show you the three things that pertain to that. And the first two points are going to be really short. So don't, don't get all excited like the third one's going to be that short because it's going to be a little longer. I'm just warning you. First one is this, who our God is. Talk just a little bit about who our God is as it relates to mercy ministry in particular. Then we're going to talk about what our God does. How does he act as it pertains to mercy ministry and helping the poor and widows and orphans? And last of all, what he calls us to do in light of these things. All right, let's take a look at the first thing. Who our God is. Turn with me if you have your Bibles. Psalm 68, 5. We sang about this. I wrote The song I wrote was based on this verse. So turn to 68.5, Psalm 68.5. I don't mind giving you a second to get there because I want you to see it's in the Word. Psalm 68.5. King David, under the full inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, refers to God like this. Ready? Psalm 68.5. Page 411 in the blue Bibles. He is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Now listen. That's who our awesome, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God is. He is a defender of widows. He is a father to the fatherless. And you know what? I love him for it. Don't you? Don't you love it that we have a God who cares for the weak? That we have a God who loves the broken? That we have a God who doesn't miss one little thing? That he's concerned about the littlest, the smallest, what we consider insignificant? You know, our society throws away two people in particular. Once you're older, we put you in a home that smells like pee. I'm sorry. I know sometimes we're all stuck doing that. I understand sometimes they need care. But I know people who work at these homes and who have to take care of them professionally, and they say with many of these folks, nobody comes to visit. You know why? They can't give you nothing back. We don't want to serve them. Orphans? the more trouble than they're worth. We know that the older a kid gets, the less chances they have of being adopted. It's the truth. He's a father to the fatherless and he's a defender of widows. Psalm 14, 6. Now, I'm not going to expect you to keep up with me because I'm going to start rattling them off a little bit like a machine gun. But Psalm 14, 6. Psalmist says, You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Listen, don't you thank God that God is your refuge and your strength? 
Can I get an amen? He's my refuge. He's my rock. He's my strength. Well, guess what? He's a refuge for the poor too. You need to remember that. You need to remember that when you have the way that you treat them. God is their refuge. God is their strength. The rich and the poor alike, God is their maker. And in particular, God is a refuge from the poor. That's who your God is. And all I wanted to say about that point was, behold your God. It's the God you claim to worship. He is a God of compassion and mercy. That's Him. Let's look at the second thing. Therefore, what does He do? I told you it'd be quick. What does God do? Look at Psalm 146, starting with verse 6. We read the first half for our call to worship. It calls us to praise God, and then it's going to tell us why we should praise God. One of the many reasons. Psalm 146, 6 says this. And we're going to keep reading a little bit. He's the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. The Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Listen, the Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. And then all God's people say, praise the Lord. Amen. Now listen, a few more seconds on this point, then I must start meddling. Why do you think one of the signs that Messiah has come, that Jesus is God in the flesh, happens to be that the poor have the gospel preached to him? Why do you think that's such a big sign that Messiah has come? I'll tell you why. Because if God came to visit us in the flesh, what do you think he would look like? And what kind of thing, what would be his priorities? What kind of things do you think he would do? You with me? The God of the Old Testament who shows himself strong, mighty to save, who cares about the lowly, the weak, where do you think he'd spend his time? Listen, John the Baptist, or the baptizer, as us Presbyterians would say. But John the Baptist, he was a fiery preacher the last of the Old Testament prophets. He prepared the way of the Lord and he preached when he comes, man, he's going to judge. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Man, it's coming and I can't wait. And Jesus came and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what did it get him? John, locked up in prison. So John's pining away in prison kind of looks around he's hearing what jesus is doing like healing the sick and stuff like that and he goes uh can you do me a favor he says to one of the jesus disciples can you go ask him uh is he the one that's to come or should we wait for someone else should we be expected someone else see john thought jesus was going to come and make his life happy you know how we preach the gospel sometimes receive jesus and your life will all be roses man you'll be flying on the clouds He's going to come. He's going to take care of everything. When he didn't understand is in his first coming, he had to take care of sin. Amen? That had to happen first, or else we wouldn't want him to clean house because we'd be part of the mess that he had to clean out, knock out. But so he wanted to know, well, is there another one coming? And when Jesus heard this message, this was his simple way of answering John. This is what he said. Go back 
This is found in Matthew 11. Jesus said, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Those who can't support a new church plant. The God who saved you from your sins, whose mercies are new every morning, who is intimately concerned with even the littlest detail of your life is the helper of the poor. That's who He is. It's because of who He is that He does what He does. (laughs) Profound, right? Is it any wonder that He calls His people to take up His cause as His children in the world? All right, last thing I want to point out. See that? One more thing. Deuteronomy 17. 10, I'm sorry. Deuteronomy 10, 17. This is the last thing we want to see is what God calls us to do in light of who he is and what he does. 10, 17. Here we go. Listen to this, man. For the Lord your God is God of gods. He is Lord of lords. He is the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. rut here it comes. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. You see that connection? Your God is like this, so you need to be like this, right? Remember Leviticus? Be holy for what? I am holy. This is no new thing. This isn't new cities niche. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? This is the Bible. This is all of God's people. We all have different roles in fulfilling this, by all means. Listen, uh, even the singer of U2, you ever hear that band? Even he said this in an interview, man. This, this was like, this is his comment. You're absolutely right. It's a much grander vision. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And he says this. We have a pastor who said to us, this is very powerful. Listen, stop asking God to bless what you're doing, Bono. He said, find out what God is doing because it's already blessed. When you align yourself with God's purpose as described in the scriptures, something special happens to your life. Oh, God, what's your will? Anybody ever do that? Like, just find out what God's will is. As if God's hiding. We just read about what God's will is. It's right there. When I first came to plant this church, the senior pastor and founding pastor, church planner of New City Fellowship of St. Louis, I was talking to him about how to formulate the vision and the purpose, and he said to me, Santo, All you got to do is find out what God's already doing and then align yourself with God and do what he's already doing and you will be blessed. What's God doing? He's looking after the widow. He's looking after the orphan. And he's feeding the poor, but he's also preaching the good news to the poor. What's the greatest thing you can give the poor? Same thing you give the rich, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because that transforms here and that changes a life. Listen, not all of us are called to move in the city and live among low income folk and poor communities. That's true. 
But here's the thing. Some of us are. You with me? Just because all of us aren't doesn't mean some of us aren't. We can't simply do tourist ministry drive-bys. You know what they are? You know what I'm talking about? Where we go by, we kind of jump out of the car, do something a little nice, get back in the car, go back in the suburbs. and and I got a witness back there? We can't do that. A lot of damage has been done. When groups, well-meaning groups have done that. And then the folks who live in the community say, where are they? They came. They said they loved us. We haven't seen them since. Listen, what did our Lord do? He left the glories of heaven. Do you think it was comfortable there? What do you think? How do you think it felt sitting on that throne? Just saying. Do you think it was like fun? I'm going to go down to this sin-stricken, nasty old place. (laughs) You know what I mean? Where, where Dorians grow, those fruit that, man, wow, are they nasty. No offense to any culture in here, but, but in all seriousness, you think it was fun? You think he enjoyed going to the people that he healed and gave them sight and that they nailed him to a cross? How do you think that felt? The Bible says God became one of us. And listen to this interesting thing in John, the first chapter. He pitched his tent among us. You know what that means? He lived with us in community. He didn't stay protected in the high and lofty place. As a small church plant, we have to support those who do hear the call to follow Jesus' example and go in the city. Even though we may not personally be called in the city, and that's okay, there's no guilt in that. I don't live in the inner city right now, I live in Ventnor Heights. But we need to give them our full 100%, support them every way that we possibly know how. The founding pastor of New City uh, Fellowship of St. Louis, who I just quoted from, he lived on the outskirts of the city for nine years. That's a good long time before he moved in the city with some other folks from his church to become part of the community. And I know another pastor who started in the inner city and then later on his ministry moved out, and he's still serving that church to this day happily. And the folks love him. So it doesn't mean everybody's got to go. But listen, here's the issue. It's not about judgment. It's about following God into getting involved in the lives of the poor, the alien, the widow, the orphan, and the outcast of society. It's about finding creative ways to make it more of a priority in our lives, whatever that ends up looking like for you or for me. If someone said to me, Sant, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while. I'm a single guy, and I'm really paying too much rent, and I feel like I'm not using my money well. I'm going to just get a one-room apartment. I'm going to use this used old laptop I've had for many years, and I'm going to give most of what I earn to missions and to help the poor. You know what I'd say? You go, brother. You know what I wouldn't say? Oh, then that must mean you're saying I'm bad. You see where I'm coming from? Just because God calls one person to to minister in a certain way, that's not judgment on us. We should be supporting them, praising God, be joyful about that, and and think about God, maybe I'm not called to do that, but what is my role? I want to tell you what's really cool. We have Christians, churches, and other nonprofit organizations supporting us from all over the country, literally. 
because they see what God is doing here among just a handful of us and they want to be a part of it. We got Virginia here because they saw what God was doing. Can I get an amen? We got South Carolina. We got New Jersey. We, other places of Jersey. We got New York. We have, I mean, I'm going to go on and on with what we have. But here's the cooler thing to me. We have a witness in China who's been on a mission trip here, changed her life. She's now living in China and telling other people what she saw in little old New Jersey. I got relatives in Italy that watch my Facebook and see all your crazy faces I put up on Facebook. And they're like, wow, what do you do? And this is my opportunity to say, I'm in the midst of a community of people that love Jesus and just love those um, who are on the periphery of society because we're sinners who need grace and we know they do too. And that's a witness. Then now I could talk to them about the gospel. You picking up what I'm laying down? Now I got some street cred. We need folks, even in our church, who may not necessarily want to move in the city, but are willing to worship with us, serve those in at-risk communities in a variety of ways, and display to a skeptical, dying, watching world that genuine Christianity still exists in this place. How many people are disillusioned about the organized church? How many? You really think it's about what style of music? You really think that's what it is? I don't think so. You think it's about clothes? It's about people wanting to see where is Jesus that you're talking about? Stop telling me he loves me and show me he loves me. Aren't you one of his? That's what you're telling me. Lifeguard at the beach this past week. I decided to go swimming with the kids a little bit. And the group was doing a great group, a great job last week. And I walked up to thank, all I wanted to do was thank the lifeguards, literally. That's why I went there. And I said, guys, and there was a, a, one lady. I said, I just want to say thank you for putting up with us. We, bring like, we brought like 50 kids two Fridays ago. You guys did a great job. Thanks for not, you know, wanting to kill us. And they, they, they just said, these kids that you bring, meaning you guys, like teens, are awesome. We can't believe how respectful they are, how well-behaved they are, and not only that, how they actually take care of the kids in the water. They said most, most time camps come, like, and they just let the kids go in the water, and the adults set up on the beach and get a tan. But they said, we're really impressed with your kids. And then the, the one lady started talking to me, and she says, I'm from AC, I'm from Atlantic City myself. And she said, now why do they come here? What an opportunity, right? And I told them they come in the name of Jesus to do disaster relief during the day, and then they do Bible clubs at night, and then Friday's a special day they get to take the kids to the beach. And you know what she said to me? Some of you know this from my Facebook. She said, you know, because I told them they're from South Carolina, Alabama, Cherry Hill. She said, people around here need to do this more. Dong! I said, exactly. I said, that's what we're trying to do here. Little by little, involve our own community and be in a light in a dark place. That's a little testimony is why UMT's here. You guys bless us. Amen, church? I was driving in my car with Caleb, and I don't remember if my wife was with me or not. I just remember because Caleb and I had the interaction. We were listening to a song. Now you're going to say, what does this have to do with anything? 
Under Pressure by Queen. You ever hear that song? And, and David Bowie. I figured I'd wake you up a little bit. And I've heard that song hundreds of times because uh, especially growing up, Queen was my favorite band, just the way it is. But for some reason, I have no idea why, the lyrics hit me at the end of the song and I got choked up and I started crying. And Caleb was like, really? Under pressure? I'm like, all right, sorry. But here's the line, here's the line that hit me. Because love's such an old-fashioned word and love dares you to care for the people on the edge of the night. And love dares you to change our way of caring about ourselves. This is our last dance. You hear me? Who's love? God is. He dares us. He challenges us. Our sister Kathy, when we were ministering one day, was crying at the plight of a young girl that we serve in the community when she found out some bad news. And i got to be honest with you, this is what I was thinking, because I think this for myself. Good. Sister, let it break your heart. Let it get down deep. Stop blocking it. Let it in. Feel the compassion of Jesus. Feel how God feels every day when He sees His broken creation. Enter into it. I remember watching a movie, and it was a corny movie. I'm not even going to tell you the name because it's a chick flick. I ain't telling you. Cinderella. But anyway, and the prince said, all my life, I would never let anyone in because then I was afraid I'd have to let everyone in. You follow me? He tried to keep that wall and protect himself. Well, I say Jesus has made it safe for you and me to just let it in. Let him in. Let the love in. Proverbs 29, 7. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Huh. How are the righteous described in this text? as those who are concerned about justice for the poor. They care about those who society steps on. How are the wicked characterized? They don't give a rip. Don't we have enough people in the world that don't care? This is our chance to step up and be the church. And if I fail, I'm going to fail miserably. Can I get an amen? Listen. I'm almost done. But I want to end with this. What does it mean to know the Lord? We'd get a lot of answers in this room if I said, what does it mean to know God, to know the Lord? We'd say, well, just like knowing, for, knowing anybody else for that matter, it means that we'd have to have a relationship with Him, right? It means that we'd be familiar with His ways, and more importantly, He'd be familiar with our ways. Certainly would mean that we trust Him. But there's another ingredient that you probably never thought of. I didn't think of it until I read this passage of what it means to know the Lord. Listen, this is important. It's from Jeremiah 22, 11 to 16. Excuse me, we're actually going to start in verse 13. I'm going to give you the context. I'm just going to read it. God is talking to a king in Israel who was corrupt, who cared about building his own house. He cared about riches and being, uh, living in luxury, and he was being unjust with the people. And he wasn't caring for 
the weak in society and the poor and the worker. And he's contrasting that king with his father who was king before him and who was a just and a good king. And he says this, Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his countrymen work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes, makes large windows in it, panels it with cedar and decorates it in red. And then God asks this question. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? Listen, he did what was right and just. So all went well with him. Now listen to the theme. We've been dealing with it all morning. Verse 16. He defended the cause of the poor and needy. And so all went well. And then here's the clincher. Is that not what it means to know me? Declares the Lord. Did you ever hear that before? What it means to know the Lord is not only to believe the truth, but to live it. And specifically, what does it say? Defend the cause of the poor and the needy. People who know God, that's going to just emanate out of them. My prayer for all of us, including myself, especially me, is that we would press on to know the Lord like that. And let me encourage you with something. I really am going to land the plane now. I do that all the time. I say, I'm, I'm landing, and then, sorry, we have to circle. You ever been on a plate? Sorry, we have, to, we have a 15-minute delay. You can't land yet. Well, we're going to land. We're land now. We're going to land. Some of us, when we go to the beach, right, kids, we go to the beach, it might be a little chillier than exotic places like Florida here in Jersey and stuff. So or the Bahamas or something. So what we do is we go a little toe in first. Ooh. Now something's like a little girly. Then up to my ankle. Then up to my, you know, right about here. And then up to my knee and then up to my thigh. Real slowly, right? But I inch in. Other people are bold and crazy, man. You know, their name is like Dave Cohen. What they do is they just dive right in the deep end. They say, we're going to get wet, so let's just sneak and get wet. Can I get an Amen. But here's the issue. Whether you dabble in slowly like me or whether you dive in, God just says, get wet. You with me? Just get wet. I don't care if you, you ease in, you dive in, you just got to go in eventually. And that's the true with mercy ministry. Listen, the best way to disciple your children is to be about it. So when they get older, even if they rebel, they come back. They say, I got to say one thing about my crazy mom and dad. They really believed in Jesus and they showed it. They might not have been perfect parents, but they were real. And I saw Jesus in them, even though they were a mess and they didn't always get it right. They were the real deal. And the beautiful thing about discipling our kids is there was ever a time where that text comes true. You know, train a child up in the way in which he should go. And when he, when he gets older, they will not depart from it. It's when you're the real deal. Just saying. So brothers and sisters, I'm talking to my, our church here at New City, and I'm also talking to the team that you're going to have a week chock full of this stuff. And uh, sorry to say, but there ain't no easing in for you guys. We're going to push you right in. 
And uh, I know that's what you came for, so we're good with that. May God get the glory of our lives as we begin more and more to align our will with his will. Instead of saying, God, what is your will? We should be saying, God, help me do your will because I see it. Now help me do it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I am no expert in this. I am certainly not the greatest example. But I am getting my toes wet. My my knees, hopefully, are, are getting soaked. And God, I didn't come here to stay dry. So I want to be more like my loving Savior, Jesus. I want to follow your model of incarnation. Whatever that means for me, whatever it means for my members of my church, whatever it means for those who came from our larger church that we all belong to, we just pray, God, you'd help us get wet. Help us to intentionally seek out the widow who's all alone, Lord, and needs your love. Help us to seek out those children whose parents aren't around because not all orphans, orphans live in an orphanage, God. Help us to look for the poor, not the worthy poor, because there ain't no worthy rich. And Help us not only to serve them the way you served us, but God, to uh, not only give them a hand out, but a hand up. That they might join us in this great mission of yours to proclaim the good news of sins forgiven in Jesus' name, but also lives transformed by his love. Be with us to this end, Lord, and Bring yourself glory. We thank you for your amazing grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.